Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Serie Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Serie Chronicles. I'm Mina Rizuki, and as always, I'm joined by Nikki Bantini. I just want to remind you that this episode is free for all of you to listen to. We always try to do that on the first of the month. Also to tell you that uh, we have a 14-day free trial for our Chronicles Tifosi Patreon membership. Head on over to seriechronicles.com forward slash Patreon now and subscribe to the Chronicles Tifosi membership for free. Hello, Nikki. How are you? How have you been? I'm good. I'm good. I'm recovering from this Serie weekend that was all twists and turns. I feel like I um, was living in that journalistic limbo you live in when you know something's coming, but you're not sure if you're writing that story now or if you're saving it for another week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had to watch kids this weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I had this huge weekend where Napoli could win the Scudetto. Yeah where Formula One was back and I'm trying to do all of this and think to myself, yeah, I'm definitely not going to be able to like have kids. <laughs> I not, like I can't manage all of this. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, those pictures when you have like people whose hair is like this and this and they like haven't slept and that, that was me, you know, and I could barely do my job, let alone like, like have family to take care of. Do you know what I, do you ever feel like it's just a lot of work in life? I was with a friend just this weekend, actually, who's got three kids. And I mean, she's Wonder Woman. Like whenever I see her, I'm like, I don't know how you like physically do all these things and also manage to find time to have some kind of social life and also yeah. be amazing at your job. So precisely, only uh, awe and admiration for people who can juggle those things. Um, but, but look, I mean, look, you know, being serious for a minute and boring, that is actually a reason that I think you probably, not the only reason, but a reason why there are fewer women than men in this profession, because it's a profession with lots of weekend working, lots of antisocial hours. And traditionally, more often than not, it's still true, shouldn't be, but is still true that childcare tends to form women more than men. So that's my boring, earnest answer for you. (laughs) It's interesting because actually, like speaking of, I keep thinking in my head, um, sort of had to speak to people who, you know, they always ask about women and, and, you know, can you do this sort of show and can you do this sort of interview to talk about women in, in football? Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have actually thought about that as one of the reasons why there's a, like, there's a large portion of me that contemplates every day whether I like this, but I know this is, there's so much in it that I think also is very difficult for women, which one day we really do need to, to answer because we had a wonderful reader who wrote in about this. And I think at all time, every time I think of answering it, I have like a mental health problem. I don't know how to explain it. Just it brings me down to try to explain it, you know? What is so much? There's so many layers to it. And I mean, I just, I just really want to pick up on this, um, because I think there's other layers which you might want to get to, but just while we're sort of on this specific point, I went to an event recently, I spoke to an event recently in, in Brighton 
And there was a, another amazing speaker there called Lisa Bascott, who is like the head of a, well, she set up her own company, which is, provides like door people, like door staff, like security work um, on the door at venues. And one of her big parts of that business has been getting more women doing those jobs because lots of venues would like to have more women on their staff at the door, not just have men doing those jobs. And it isn't just like people imagine it to be a job, which is just for people who are, you know, six foot eight and a mile wide and, and muscular. There's other parts of that job and there's nuance in that job. And actually like having people who understand the different needs of their clientele is really important. And one of the things I talked to you about, the sort of challenges, because I was saying, you know, you, you see both of our professions, like you see areas where it feels like women don't get as many opportunities. And she said that one of the huge things for her was getting employers, getting employers to commit to schedules further ahead of time. Because working in sports journalism, I know you have this, Mina, very often we're told like, we're offered work at like a week's notice, less than a week's notice. Can you get there? Can you do this when you're a freelancer and you, and you do it? Sometimes it's the day before. Yeah. Yeah. And again, if you're, if you're the main person looking after childcare, which just is more often true, as I said before, women, that's harder to do. So finding employers who are willing to commit to schedules ahead of time. A really interesting person, Lisa Bascott, she's super, super um, impressive woman. And, and that's a whole different conversation perhaps for another day, but I wanted to say it because I think that stuff's important. It is important. And I guess like it's one of the things that we were having a conversation about because, well, I would have loved to have gone for Napoli Scudetto and I really do want to go for the Champions League, but I'm on, I'm about to pull out. And the reason being is because there's a difference when, for example, I was being sent by whether it was DAZN at the time that I worked with or ESPN because I felt safe because I always mm -hmm. had people with me. But when I'm on my own and being sent, I'm not very comfortable going through that on my own and then finding the um, the cameraman and, and doing like my piece. I'm, I'm just not. I'm not because like there's been situations where I've done it, especially with ESPN, actually, when I was, for example, outside stadiums, I felt safe in. And there's been instances where I've just thanked God that I've had been, I have been able to count on people next to me to like do something about it, you know, because... The truth of the matter is, is I am really small <laughs> and I don't feel safe going into these environments. And I guess like half the time, I just want to be invisible when I'm going in. And unless I'm going as part of a big group, I don't feel safe. And that was a lot of the reason ESPN used to send like four or five people with me for the simple sake that I wouldn't ever like worry. And I do remember there was one time we were outside Juventus Stadium and it was like one o'clock in the morning and we somehow didn't have a ride home because we weren't with the Italian contingent. We were with, all of us had been sent from England. And it was me and four guys and I was still nearly in tears because of how scared I was at that point because we were like alone. We couldn't find a way back home. We had no way of knowing how we were going to find a way back home. There was no one and no nothing to be seen after we had gotten over the crowd and everything. And I'm just saying that these types of things, imagine I was alone, I would have lost my mind at the time. So thankfully, we managed to get the hotel to send us a car and, and find our way back. But it's stuff like that that I don't, maybe, you know, some people don't have a safety issue. I do because, you know, like, for example, outside the stadium, someone was stabbed in Napoli and he was, and it was a traffic, right? Like he was just crossing the road and he got stabbed, you know? So there are things like this that you don't, it is a lot scarier. Whereas, for example, I don't necessarily feel that way in all stadiums in England. I do, for example, I took the kids to Stamford Bridge, you know, and I and I mm -hmm. felt 
even then I felt a little bit on my nerves, but I didn't feel like, like that way. For example, when I, I go to other stadiums and in Italy, I do like one of the reasons, like even in Verona, I, you know, which is one of the, my, my actual favorite stadiums. I know everyone hates it so much, but I love, I don't know. I'm, I'm saying these are the kind of things that I feel like I have to think about and other people don't. No, I, I, I really get it, Mina. And I mean, look, I'm, I'm tall, but I mean, I, I, I promise you, I'm not made to, to get into an altercation either. And, and I even remember God, you know what even, I mean. exactly. No, I, no, but I do. And I, and I also don't say that to minimize you being small either. Cause I, I, I don't, while I said that I'm also aware, I think sometimes it, it makes me probably less of a target in some situations being tall. That's, that's also can be true. I think a lot of people don't, don't know about, a lot of guys don't, don't know about things that happen, you know, even on, on the way back from the Euro 2020 final, I was, this is in the middle of London. This is getting off the train at Marylebone. I had a guy following me and saying some like sexual stuff to me, basically. And I effectively just sort of scurried up behind a couple who I saw walking and was like, can I walk with you guys? And they were like, yes. And I was lucky because I was like, well, these are nice people who happen to be around and that sort of made it all right. And yeah. And actually, I think the thing that people don't see in, in the job is as well, we don't leave when other people leave a stadium. We leave much later. And I think yeah. if you go to Italy again, or Europe, in fact, not just Italy, it's another hour later. And I even had this trying to get back from San Siro the other day for the quarterfinal first leg. By the time you're done at the stadium, because the game starts, if the game starts at eight in England, it's starting at nine in Italy. So it finishes at 11. And then you add on an hour or more to finish your work. And then the public transport isn't running. So then you've got to find somewhere to get home. Yeah, exactly. But cabs aren't just there waiting for you because it's one in the morning and there's still people, the, the system is still overloaded from the game. And and yeah, no, I, I really get it. Especially if you're like at Spurs Stadium in, in, in London, where like it's really difficult because if there's no public transport, you're walking for hours trying to find a way to get home, you know? And if things aren't arranged and a lot of taxis don't want to come and pick you up because it's like, it's crazy nurse over there. I mean, one of the things is Stanford Bridge is that it's in the middle of this, you know, like there are a lot of them, like Craven Cottage, you feel safe because you could just walk out and there's like, it's very busy areas, but Bernabeu as well is another one where you would feel a little bit safer there. Cause again, it's bam smack in the middle of Madrid. So you don't feel like you're in the middle of like the Alliance stadium at Juventus. You are in the wilderness. You know what I mean? Where you're like, I'm scared and I'm scared in San Siro. I am a lot of the time I am shaking, you know? So, and I think that people sort of like, you have to explain this because I just think sometimes I do wish in many other ways that I didn't have, like, I was like a guy that would just freely walk along not just any guy, I wish I was like a six foot six guy you know, that can just, you know, never feel this kind of like stuff that I feel, I think a lot of the times. And, you know, there's other things involved as well with how people treat you when you are in football. You know, the fact mm -hmm. is that everyone sees you as a woman and you're never allowed to forget that. And I don't mean like they think you're a second class citizen in your knowledge, but you know, hashtag me too is an issue as well, you know, and, and unfortunately not everyone has caught onto what goes on in America, but this is, Another debate, but you know, it's just one of those things. It's such an interesting and important conversation, and I'm worrying, like, yeah. um, like, should we be talking about this now, or should we be doing? Yeah, I was like, we should really be doing this on a on a separate note. Yeah. But I'm sorry if we have just gone into this, but it's just because it's been something that I've had to discuss because of whether or not I want to go and cover the games and how I can do it if I'm on my own and I'm not sent as part of a group, mm. but just sent on my own. Anyway, let's talk about Napoli. Um, <laughs> 
Sorry, producer Simon. Sorry, everybody who tuned in just looking for a lighthearted football chat. We, we will we will produce that now for you. But um, <laughs> we, we shall start off with, by the Instagram picture that producer Simon put up, which is a bottle, um, to say that Napoli bottled it. <laughs> it was all set for them. Okay, so actually, Nikki, let me ask you about this because obviously the game was postponed. It was supposed to be be played on Saturday. And then on Sunday was going to be the vital match uh, between Inter and Lazio. And then discussions were held. There were concerns for public safety, uh, or at least that was the reason given. And the game then got postponed to Sunday after the Inter-Lazio match. Now, there's a lot of journalists who are very angry, very angry with the decision to, to do it that way. Um, a lot of fans of the Northern clubs who were very angry in the decision but then also, well, let me ask you, what do you think about that and explain it in a little bit more detail? I mean, I mean, first of all, I think out of everyone who has the right to get angry, the most justifiable angry I thought was Danilo Yerofolino, the, the president of Salernitana, and then sort of echoed more gently by Paolo Sosa, who clearly didn't want to, like, to make headlines. But Yerofolino basically saying they didn't feel like his club had been given any consideration at all. And, you know, actually we're in a relegation fight and we this now means we've got a day less repair for our game against Fiorentina. And actually, sh- wh- why should the other club get to only say in this and, and not us? And and I think that is really, really valid. I think that's really important. Yeah. Like just because you're winning the league, does it make you more important than, than Salernitana? And that's, and that's a competitive issue that I just, you know, the whole thing was, is very Italian. The fact that this is getting <laughs> done, but honestly, like, in some ways, it reminded me of what went on during COVID, if you remember me, or in the sort of post-COVID bit when they started playing again. Because what you had, this this all gets started by the the prefect of Naples. Prefect is a slightly hard government role to translate because it doesn't exist equivalent in, in England, for instance. But it's effectively like a representative of sort of the local authorities. The local government is represented by the prefect. And the prefect sort of initiates this conversation with the league, but also brings in the minister for the interior saying, oh, well, this is a, a public safety issue. Like we need to do this because if Napoli win the league, because in the original schedule, as you just mentioned, um, it was possible that Napoli beats Lernitana and then Lazio don't win. And so Napoli won the league. Basically saying if, if that's how it happens, if, if, we, if Napoli win the league that way, then we're going to have celebrations going on all over the town. It's going to be chaotic. We're not going to be able to police it. Whereas if Napoli win the league at home, then we can police it. We can get everyone to come towards the stadium. We'll close off certain roads. We'll encourage the party to happen in one place and we can police it. And on the one hand, I can see that as a logical sort of argument to make from the policing standpoint. On the other hand, it just sort of fits into this sort of greater national narrative, I feel like, or perhaps it's specifically the lack of a national narrative in Italy, where Everything is always special cases for special parts of the country that have their own rules, that have their own sort of, well, you know, because this hasn't happened, right? We've had lots and lots of league winners before who've won in the hotel, in the, you know, back home because of someone else's results. It's not normal that they do these sort of last minute changes. It didn't happen when Milan were winning, where Inter were winning, where Juventus were winning. And so we're sort of making special rules for special parts of the country based on their sort of local sentiments and driven by, in the end, politicians who do have a vested interest. I mean, as I understand it, 
apologies if you're if it turns out that this has been misreported, but it's certainly been reported. Colombo is the prefect is a Napoli fan. Would be not surprising. <laughs> he's from Naples. You know, are we are we really doing these things because it's only the right reasons, or is there a bit of yeah, actually, we want to be able to have this great celebration, which is understandable. I get wanting to have your team win and everyone be there and have a great celebration of it, especially after 33 years. It would be a nicer story. It's a much nicer story. But it's also not a way to govern yourself. I don't know. To me, that's it's it's very, it's a very reactive form of government. When I say it's like the COVID thing, it, it just reminded me a lot of sort of when you had one local authority, you had sort of national rules set and then one local authority saying, well, these are the rules here. And so your team can't travel. And then teams showing up to games and then not being an opponent there and sort of going through the motions of kicking the ball off and saying they weren't there. And then two months later, once we've all argued about it, we play the game anyway. And yeah, it's, it's very frustrating sometimes. And I will say all that and also say, perhaps we all need to take the spirit of friend of the show who's been on before, Patrick Kendrick, who says, you've got to just love this about Italy and embrace it. Yeah. Um, I, listen, I, I guess so. I mean, there are just some things that I do understand in the sense that I guess you do sometimes have to make different rules for different situations. Right. Um, and, and it is, and I also think that for a lot of them, they feel like Napoli winning it has become a worldwide sensation and that there are just like, um, we, we did this whole hour long with, with BBC news on just news, not football. They didn't care about the football in the slightest, but just about how there wasn't even a single room available to rent. Um, there isn't like to the extent that their correspondent who lives in Rome, who was sent, they, they were asking her if she would stay on a boat. <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally that was the only thing. I would. I'll stay on a boat in Naples. That sounds okay. <laughs> it, it, it's believe me, it's not a yacht. It was literally like this tiny boat that you'd have to sleep on basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it, it's become, it's that complicated and the whole world is watching. Hey gang, just wanted to let you know that you can now get a free 14-day trial of our Chronicles Defosi Patreon membership. Subscribe now for free for 14 days to get access to all of our full episodes, solo mini-sodes, bonus content, even behind-the-scenes bonuses like our chats about football, and of course, our chats about life in general. You can also get the entire bank catalogue of Serie Chronicles content. So head over to cityarchronicles.com forward slash Patreon and subscribe to the Chronicles of Fosie membership for free. It's a little bit of like Inter and Bologna. Do you remember last year when everyone just assumed that they would have been in Bologna and they'd have three extra points? And so then it was this whole thing where it was like a foregone conclusion that of course you would beat that team. And Bologna were like, no, we're going to have a say about this. And actually that didn't go that way. It's a little bit like, Salernitana is like, we're just here to do to exact to just show up, you know? And obviously, considering that they are local, they are a team that they do feel like this is a big occasion for them to play against Napoli. I just find it amazing that, you know, and it's, it's Lazio Inter. There's every reason to believe that Lazio could have been Inter as well. So I, I feel like there's a lot of things that had to swing this way for it to go in Napoli's favor. But again, I also understand the reason of moving it because you can't police it over two days. It costs, it takes a lot of resources to ensure the policing that is required over a whole weekend if they started from Saturday. Whereas they felt that if, if it was delayed to, to Sunday, then it would just be until Monday that they would just block all the cars in central areas. They would have the right amount of police and they wouldn't feel like they're overextending themselves in terms of resources. 
and the dele- delegation of that. But it is what it is. Now there are discussions that um, between the mayor and the prefect about bringing Thursday's match forward by two hours so that they could have it in the marriage so that they can project it on the uh, giant screens in the stadium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just feel sorry for Sally Lichana because they've got to play on Wednesday against Fiorentina. It's back-to-back difficult matches for them, you know, whereas Napoli get to play on Thursday. So it's, anyway, I guess one thing that is, is worth noting is, is just how good Salernitana has been. Um, I, I know that this is about Napoli, but I also feel like I just want to sneak that in before we talk about the glory of Napoli is that there is a point where I, I think that they gave Sousa's like whole discussion, like, you know, hey, yeah, they think we're going to be easily breezing. What do you guys think? You know, and there was a part of me that were like, yeah, so then you will definitely pay their role and just roll over because they just can't be bothered with this whole thing, you know, but it didn't work out that way. They were really good. Like, I mean, they were as good as they needed to be. And I thought really, really well organized. They've gotten great results so far. Yeah. Is Napoli falling apart? But, you know, it doesn't really matter at this point. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, like, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's, there's literally no no, no universe in which they lose the next six games. And even if they did, there's no universe in which Lazio take maximum points. So it wouldn't matter. Like, Napoli could lose every game and they'd still win this league title. I'm fairly confident of that. Um, not fairly confident. I'm very confident. Lazio aren't winning six games out of six. <laughs> So it doesn't matter. But I, I do think that there was, not on Napoli's part, I should stress, this isn't Spalletti's fault. Spalletti is not the one who insisted the game yeah. got changed or anything like that. But I do think in the sort of the decision making, there was a certain amount of arrogance about this idea that if Lazio didn't win, I thought maybe it wasn't even in the decision making. I felt the coverage was like this as well. A lot of the Italian coverage was all very sort of focused on, well, Lazio might beat Inter. And there was no discussion of, well, Salernitana might not lose to Napoli. Salernitana, but first of all, they're a local rival. This is a derby game. They're 40 miles up the road. Exactly. Second of all, they are unbeaten in eight games coming into this match. Um, in fact, they lost Palazzo's first game in charge. They hadn't lost since. And in that time, they've drawn with Milan, drawn with Inter. So not just playing any old team, the teams who are fighting for Champions League places. Yeah, there, there was a real sort of disrespectful tone towards some of the coverage and perhaps by extension, some of the decision-making around this game, I felt. And Salernitana showed up and, and showed exactly why that, that was wrong. Look, they're, they're not on Napoli's level. Napoli are the best team in Italy. That's not even close to being in dispute. But Salernitana showed they'd learned some lessons from watching other teams that have caused Napoli to struggle recently. They did. They went with the deep, um, the low block, but they really sort of focused on making sure they had Quite out scary in a cage all the time, meaning that they had to look for creativity somewhere else. They rode their luck a little bit, but I didn't feel like Napoli had any really overwhelmingly great chances. Ochoa made some saves, but it wasn't like they were hammering the door down despite having a lot of the ball. And they got a brilliant goal from, from Dia, who has been very, very good quietly for that Southern team this season. And I sort of felt, yeah, sort of, just there was something in the in the sort of visual imagery of the goal he scored that I thought was sort of very compelling. Because again, to stress, none of this matters. Napoli are still winning the league. Most Neapolitans still went, who like the team, still went and celebrated last night because the Scudetto party is going to go on all summer. But there was still something very sort of encapsulating the 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 game for me of Osman and Kvaratskhelia, who are the stars of the season, the, the best players on this incredible team. Were the two that Diego's passed to score. 
like he nutmegs Ossiman and then goes past Grout Scalia and then bends it into the far corner. It's a little bit of like, yeah, you took us too lightly, guys, and and that's what happens. E fa 1-1, una super giocata a 7 dalla fine più recupero e va a esultare per il gol del pareggio, pareggio della Salernitana a 7 dalla fine. In fact, in Salerno they just went crazy and uh, I had gone to the stadium, a lot of 3,000 fans apparently and uh, and called it the hand of deer <laughs> in response to Napoli. They were just so thrilled with the way that their team had performed. Uh, there were smoke bombs and fireworks all by the Ereki. So it meant a lot to Salernitana fans to, to get this point, even if it was to, you know, it is a, like, like we said before, it's a local derby for them. So it meant a lot. But I do want to say that Dia, who's played, he started 23 games. He's got 12 goals and six assists. He's got as many goals as Kravatskeli and Rafael Leal. Him and him. And Zola and Zola has been absolutely amazing. And I don't feel like we've spoken about them enough as being sort of these forces in Serie A that need to be recognized just because of what they have been creating, despite the fact that they don't get a lot of the ball all the time or a lot of the opportunities to score. Um, so hats off to what is what was a great performance. But when it comes to Napoli, obviously it's normal that they are going to have a drop off. We're not seeing them sort of move in the way that we are. The road, the ball isn't moving as quickly enough. You feel like Zaninsky and and Lobotka don't don't aren't perhaps playing on the levels that they were before. You understand this also from an exhaustion point of view, but a mental fatigue generally from a very long season. Like Spalletti said, it's always the hardest towards the end. Is it that, or are you a little bit scared that teams might have found the blueprint on how to stop them? I think. It's definitely going to be a fascinating dilemma question next season, assuming Karatskaya doesn't go in the summer, whether or not he has been a bit found out. I think that's that's a big open question for me because it does feel like his season started so brilliantly and has faded. Do you think he has been found out? Or do you think the fact that there's two men on him all the time is a little bit difficult? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's easy to be found out when you've always got playing you know, two on one the whole game. Yeah, I'm not saying I think he has. I just I think that's that's an open question that maybe is is interesting. In terms of the overall performance, I I just find it sort of meaningless to judge it, um, because mm. it's like a proven thing. Like in sort of, there's a reason. Right, let's put it this way: there's a reason. Like, and they've sort of done studies on it why records get set in Olympic events in the athletics or big world championships. And it's because elite athletes do push each other to greater and greater heights because there's a motivation, there's competition, knowing you've got to be at your very best to beat these people, pushes people's new levels. So when you take away the competitive element, which Napoli have been missing for probably a month, like they've known they're going to win this league for ages, it's kind of normal that the levels drop a bit. It's normal that they go, okay, well, we don't have to play our best football, so... We could just take it easy. It's not like you consciously say we won't bother, but you just don't have that internal combustion. I don't know what the right word is. No, I, I see that. I'm, I'm not worried about it from that point of view. We'll find out next season, I think, on that front. So now we find out probably even on Wednesday, depending on what Lazio and, and Juventus do, uh, whether or not Napoli can even just get away sometime without even needing to win against Udinese um, or a draw will suffice um, should the others not do as well as expected. But otherwise they can go away to Udinese and uh, achieve the win. There'll be huge celebrations as they so richly deserve for the tremendous season that they had. 
finisce qui finisce dunque 1-1 fra Napoli e Salernitana la festa del Napoli è rimandata i punti di vantaggio sulla seconda sono 18 aspettando la partita della Juve di questa sera talk about the others because we know that Napoli have set the bar for what has been a brilliant brilliant just everything you know brilliant tactics brilliant players you know every, everything that we've wanted from a team that we didn't even think would make top four how wrong we all were they were just simply fantastic in every single way but here's the thing it's it was so interesting because I watched Inter obviously take on this this monumental match against Lazio that you know everyone was hoping Lazio would lose I'm literally sitting there for 70 minutes going like, how on earth is this happening? Like, how is it possible that Lazio is winning this, you know? And I, it's, Lazio showed a lot of the stuff that I really dislike about them, which is a little bit of the fact that they, they didn't show the best of themselves in this match as well, but they do rely a lot on being perfect rather than on sometimes just simplifying everything and, and playing the game that they need to play as opposed to, they don't, make allowances for mistakes. And I think that's always been my issue with Sadi is because he does like perfect football and you just can't. So when they concede a goal, it always ends up being like two or three or it never just ends up being sort of a one nil loss. They can just give up. And I think that has a lot to do with how complicated it can be to train under him and, and to, to live out the details that he gives. But it was Inter. Inter have, they were just... Wow, <laughs> I thought they were brilliant. And I get that the front two, like I get that Correa didn't work and Martinez comes on and then it's just, it sets everything aligned and then you can really see the brilliance of Nzagi. But how much have we have been dying to see this version of Inter? This is the version of Inter that I definitely thought was going to win the Scudetto. When we, when we did our show in the beginning of the season, I said Inter because this is what I know that they're capable of. Of course, Milan at their very best are also a very, I, I can't figure out which one is better, to be honest with you, and we'll get to see that in the semifinal. But how annoying is that to see your team yeah. can perform like this and they haven't, you know? They've yeah. lost to teams like Empoli and to Monza and yet they've defeated Napoli and they've won so convincingly. The Coppa Italia, they made Juventus look like the worst team in the planet. I mean, Juve did that all by themselves, but Inter have now gotten three wins in a row, seven goals. It's just fantastic. I thought Brozovic had an exceptional game. I thought Lukaku was an exceptional performance from him. I know that everyone's talking about other players, but for me, it's D'Ambrosio brings so much fight to that team. He is such a fighter. And even if he's not the very best, he has something in him that always makes sure that Inter is switched on. And he really helps with that. And Brozovic and his defensive uh, abilities as well to get back and win the ball in important moments was, God, this was a brilliant Inter. Like, God, can we see this for the remainder of the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's a certain amount with Inter that perhaps it's just like this has kind of been really close to happening for a while. We talked about those games when they were not getting results, but they were taking a million shots and just somehow it wasn't going <laughs> in. And, and maybe some of it is just that sort of finally evening out. But I actually was just thinking like some of this game, is there a little bit of of like the other side of that coin with Napoli? Because the, the equalizing goal for me, is like this embodiment of like, no, we've just got to put everything on the line. I mean, you've got Robin Gersens goes in so hard to win the ball that he puts through to Lukaku that he literally takes Chalanoglu out. Like he slides in and takes his own teammate out, sends Chalanoglu flying because he wants to win that ball so badly. And then it runs to Lukaku, who holds off Casale, who's climbing all over him and, and Lukaku. Lukaku's 
so good in this game. I mean, the, 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 the ball he plays for Lautaro is, is a really like intelligent pass on a really intelligent run. And, and the, the two of them combining like that was a real flashback to, to their best moves under, under Conte. But then the second goal, which they go ahead on, I mean, Gossens, who admittedly is only on the pitch for about 20 minutes, he literally like separates his shoulder. He's going so hard after that volley that he ends up getting taken out of the game. So Gossens, I think for commitment alone, helps swing this game. But Lukaku's assist on that one was beautiful as well. It's a really, really delicate ball to the back post. So really impressive from, from Romelu, I thought. And then sort of this funny symmetry to the game, I thought, in, in an odd way where the first goal for Lazio was basically given to them by Acerbi, a former Lazio player falling over, uh, or well, dallying on the ball and giving it away. And then Inter's last goal comes from Fessino, a former Inter player, dallying on the ball and giving it away. So a neatly sort of topped and tailed game. But no, I thought Lukaku was, was spectacular. And I thought Inter played like a team in that second half that knew that if they didn't win the game, it was over. And, and they, yeah, they attacked the game with that mentality and, and got their reward. Yeah, I, I honestly thought that it's very difficult, but obviously, I, I mean, friends of the pod will know that I've never really been the biggest fan of Lukaku, but I love, I actually think this was his best performance in, I think, two years. In two years, obviously, Chelsea was one of them. Sorry, this, this whole season, for sure, this is his best performance. I don't know. I, I love him in this role of playmaker. The, the passes, the accuracy, the ability to spot everything, the spaces, I thought that he read the game so well against Lazio. Lukaku, ce l'ha sul sinistro, vuole l'assist, Gosens! Altro assist di Lukaku, trasforma Robin Gosens, 2-1 Inter! I thought he was so effective in what he needed to do. It, it's just a shame that he didn't have Martinez from the start, really, because of that, that understanding that they had, which I haven't really seen, everyone talks about it, but we haven't seen this Lukaku. And also Lukaku is always sort of the striker, right? The man, the the quick accelerations, the, the, your number nine, your striker. But I like him in this playmaking role. And I just thought that he had understood what needed to happen in the final third. And I just thought it came all together so brilliantly. Meanwhile, Barella as well. The overarching theme that I really wanted to talk about is whether or not, you know, how good is, is Italian football again? Like, how good are these clubs? Especially now, because everyone sort of sees it as in, we got really lucky in Italy. Like, you know, we got to be all on one side of the Champions League, so we take each other on and don't have to take on the likes of Real Madrid or Manchester City or Bayern until the very end. But then I, I, and, and I don't know whether these, te- I don't really know how to judge it yet, because I look at this team and I'm thinking, frankly, how many of them, if you are creating a super team, if you're creating a super team, how many of them would you take? When you're trying to create a super team, you're probably going to look a lot in what Barcelona and Madrid have. You're going to look a lot in what there is in Manchester City or Liverpool or Chelsea or any of these teams. But how many of those guys exist in Serie A? And yet there's just been performances that I just think uh, have been brilliant, but more group performances. You know, it's like different players coming in at the right times. And then I just... I kind of want people to watch Serie A because I want them to see this version of Inter. I want them to see the very best of Milan, which happily we did see in the Champions League. But I can't figure out on how to judge this right now. And I don't know whether it's because they all haven't been that consistent or whether actually because the smaller teams, whether it's a Cremonese or a Salernitana or, you know, whomever, Monza, for example, have been fantastic as well and have all been really well organized and well assembled to try to stop these monsters from getting past them. 
I feel like every time I sort of think I have set in my mind the top of the the season, it, it deserts me it again. I mean, yeah, Lazio really, um, this is, the result is not shocking, but I really felt like they were really second best to win Terra in a big way in this game. And, and it would have been a travesty if they'd got, if they'd got the win. Or even I felt like a draw by the end, I think would have flattered them a lot. And it's coming off the back of a loss to Torino. Now, it's worth pointing out that even with two losses in a row, they're still, well, they're still second. And they're also, they've got, still got a nice four point buffer to Inter with six games left. So the work they've done already might be enough for them. But yeah, it's, it's definitely um, raised some, some questions for me and, and made me think that, well, I think it's always been true that, that Sari has taken them to a level beyond, beyond their, their pure talent. I think Inter have got more talent, but raised questions about whether or not they can fix it. I really enjoyed Maurizio Sari after the game being asked if whether or not the team would have to go into Ritiro because they lost two games in a row. So punitive training camp for anyone who's not familiar with this concept in Italy, but, you know, giving a very Maurizio Sari answer and saying, well, if that works, then Perugia would have won the league 15 times in a row, wouldn't they? So I just thought that was a very, <laughs> it was a very Sari way to answer that question. And, you know, also good on him because Italian football is ridiculous with that stuff sometimes. Like you lose two games in a row and now you have to be punished somehow. Like, you know, you've committed a crime. Yeah, but the people who complain about this, by the way, yeah, in like the media especially is like, this is so ridiculous. And then the media, as soon as like Inzaghi loses two games in a row, oh my God, can they make top four? What's going to happen with India? This is a disaster or whatever it is. You know, the guys are in the semifinals of the Champions League, you know. Mm-hmm. There is also, it is very exacerbated by a dramatic media as well, you know. But, and at least he didn't blame the weather this time around. Yeah. His opposite, I guess, so you could say Jose Mourinho. This is another thing, right? When we're trying to think of who is top four, I like, I, I have to say, we've been critical of Jose Mourinho a lot of the times on this podcast. And I think that at times it was warranted when we were talking about why we have been critical of him. But I also think that when the facts change, then you change your opinion. And, and for me, I just think that one thing that I can think say about Roma is they have an injury crisis. They don't have their best players available to all to them at all times. Unfortunately, this was, for example, they played Milan without Dybala, without Smalling. And what I like about them is that they're the only team that can honestly say I feel reliable. Like I feel they always show up. You know what they're like? Oh my god, they're like so the boyfriend you don't want but you need. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to explain. It's like he's not the most handsome you know like you're probably not that attracted to him because you know their football's a little bit boring to watch right like a lot of people say that all the time it's defensive it's whatever you know mm-hmm. but they always show up they always give everything they have you know they always play with the ferociousness and aggressiveness and the desire to do well even when they don't have a full squad available to them they don't score the magnificent goals but They'll get there somehow. It'll be a set piece. It'll be a mistake that they latch onto. They are opportunistic in their nature. They, they always show up for you when you need them to. And I just think that they've been very reliable this season. And, and despite the fact that they have been contending for a top four position in the Europa League, you know, I, I, I'm quite amazed really at the, the mentality change that they've had. Cause Roma to me have always been a bit of a wishwashy side, one that I wasn't sure that I can always, predict what's going to happen to them you could say like another version of inter but this this roma side is one that i feel like i can depend on and i thought that they really seduced you into their style of playing and milan who have been magnificent recently just sort of gave up in a way at least they got the equalizer 
yeah, I mean, it was what a ridiculous game in football. Like no goals for, was it 94 minutes and then two wins, like the last two minutes of injury time. I think Roma deserve all the credit in the world for continuing to produce these performances, as you're saying, Mina, with the injury list that is really mounting up now. And Jose, I think, sort of saying at full time, we've been well accustomed to him throwing his team, including the Roma team, under the bus sometimes when he's not happy with them, but saying he's can't be upset with them, even though he feels like it was points dropped because of what happened, because he just feels like they're all going above and beyond to keep to keep going where they um where they can. And yeah, this morning injury is a big one at the back. Losing one Alden when you're interested in getting him integrated in the team again really hurts. The fact they've had Kumbula now is out. Yeah, obviously Dybala is a bit of a special case because I feel like if you sign Dybala, you expect him to be in and out. That's just the deal. That's what you get. But still, overall, lots of injuries, and it's definitely getting to the point where. I think, I, but again, I feel prisoner of the moment on everything, Mina. I think now when I look at the top four race, they're the one who I'm seeing falling out of it just because I think there's so many big games still to come and their squad is the one that's been stretched the hardest. But to me, it felt like maybe this was a slightly a sliding doors moment for them on their top four push. Winning this game would have been really big because it's against a direct rival, but not winning it. I think with the sort of cumulative impact of losing players, it might just be, might just be slipping away from them. What about Milan's herb? So we, we, we saw what has been a fantastic Milan, but you can understand that sort of it's been, it's been a really hard six weeks for them. You know, they've taken on Napoli three times. Um, you know, they've, they've had the Champions League push. They've, it's been many games for them. And you feel like a, a little bit now, they can't really depend on a full squad in the sense that they've got a great starting 11. We talked about this several times before, but do you feel like you can, do you trust them getting past Inter? In the Champions League, I, I, mm. I'm currently leaning towards Inter and in the league, oh, am I leaning towards Inter in the league as well? I, in the league, do you trust them then? I have really sort of interesting sort of, well, I have really interesting, I don't know if people find them interesting, but I have um, very sort of specific sort of feelings about Milan because I, I've been thinking in the back of my mind for a while, obviously they're not as good as Manchester City. I'm not going to say they are and I don't think anyone would, but in terms of how a team would would beat Manchester City in a Champions League final or Real Madrid in a Champions League final. More City, because I think Real Madrid are more canny, actually. But if City mm. were to lose a Champions League final, I, I think I can imagine a way in which Milan do it because it's the same way in which they beat Napoli, which is to be canny enough to not concede a goal and then have that ability with Rafael Leao and Brahim Diaz to, to strike you on the counter. But Inter can do it. Accept the role of the underdog and embrace it. I don't know if I see Inter quite as comfortable in that role of the, you have the ball, we're the underdog. They're, they're getting better at that, Inter, but I'm not sure it's their natural home, whereas I think actually it is Milan's natural home to play that way. The problem is in Serie A, sometimes you can't play that way. You've got to play the overdog role. And I'm not sure they're as good at playing the overdog, actually. I think they, they struggle with that sometimes for the reasons that we've talked about all season, which is they haven't got a variety of tools up front, really. They've got very specific good players, but they haven't got depth and they haven't got sort of breadth of options. I think Inter have more variety to their game. They've got more different ways they can do things, but they're not necessarily as good at the one thing of being a, a team that could play fast break football as, as Milan can. I don't know. I, I think Milan, the squad is thinner than Inter's. And at this point in the season, this week, it starts to feel very relevant. Inter are playing really good football. Milan look tired, but it's changing week to week, Mina, and I feel like I'm flip-flopping as well, so I'm going to not commit to anything until the week of the Champions League game, I think. 
I'll put it this way. I'm leaning towards Inter beating Milan because I think that overall they can manage it. It's about controlling your emotions. And I would like to see if they're there on, on a maturity level. Mm-hmm. But it comes to Manchester City. I disagree. I think Inter can do it better. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So, listeners, <laughs> we want to hear what you think, yeah? Not if it's Real Madrid, because I do think Real Madrid is quite wily in the sense that they've got an Italian coach, so he's, he's, he, he will play the game he needs to play, yeah? But Manchester mm-hmm. City have a very clear and identified, a very clear identity. So we know exactly the way they'll play and how they'll approach this game. Who is better at defeating them? Will it be Milan or will it be Inter? Questions on a postcard. <laughs> so <laughs> send that through and tell us what you think. I don't know what it is. I, I do lean towards Inter because I think that they've handled the big games quite well. Oh, I do really want it to be Real Madrid and Milan, though. That, that's a, a kind of a little bit nod to nostalgia, but I also think Inter sort of really deserve a final because of Inzaghi and the way that... Anyway, I don't know. Um, questions on a postcard, who would win this? <laughs> but yes, it keeps changing. I think that we, we need to mention that Juventus uh, managed to get a draw against Bologna. It was wonderful to see Milik uh, as a ballerina. Uh, I think that it was just, it was lovely to see that wonderful, like, um, Zaza imitation, if you like. I don't know what that is on the penalty, but it was one of the worst penalties I think I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> um, but it is what it is. Luckily, he did get a goal that finally, like, uh, maybe shook off um, any bad thoughts that he's been carrying recently. Do you still believe that Juventus can make top four in this current form? Because they've really been dreadful to watch. Yeah, they've been really, they've been really not impressive the last few games. I don't know. I mean, like all of this stuff still has the 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 ongoing case hanging over them. Um, they haven't they haven't been good, and it sort of feels like behind the scenes isn't great at the moment. Um, with obviously reports coming out from another friend of the show, Adriano Del Monte, reporting. Kiers and Allegri not seeing eye to eye at the moment. And that sort of story doesn't speak to perhaps the best locker room harmony. But also, if any one team seems sort of capable of doing the Corto Musa winning while well, things aren't great, kind of is Juventus. Can I imagine them grinding out 6 1 0 wins from here despite not being good the last few games? Yeah, I can imagine it. Will it happen? I don't know, but I can imagine it. Yeah, I think there's um I think Kiers has been unhappy for a while. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. And I think that has a lot to do with sort of uh what he feels he wants to do and be allowed to do and the freedom to do and and what Allegri would like the team to do as a unit and how to function. And I think there's obviously disagreements of that. There was also stories of Di Maria pulling out of the squad when he found out he wasn't gonna start this match, which just adds to the uh locker room disharmony. It's there is there are many like Rabio, Danilo, who really like Allegri and, and wish him to stay and feel very comfortable with him. And there are others, obviously, in Chiesa. But I think that it's a little bit of what I wanted to sort of talk about that is, is when I was discussing this, what I was told was it, it's a, it was, it's a similar story. What I was saying is that if you remember, Verratti is a brilliant player, but Verratti wants to play the way he wants to play. And he's not willing to change what he thinks he's very good at, which is sometimes has a level of risk to the way that he plays. He introduces or he sort of provokes interaction and then he, he, he tries to get past that. And Ancelotti at the time was very angry with him at PSG and he kept trying to tell him to do things differently. But Verratti just said, you kind of have to love me the way I am because I'm not going to do it your way. 
And there was like great anger over that. But Kings is a little bit like that too. He wants his freedom, but it, it's not conducive to what it is that they're trying to do as a unit. So I don't know how that is going to go. But I do remember that Allegri has spoken a lot about wanting him to be a striker, wanting him to play closer to goal. A lot with what Pioli wants from Leao. But Leao is more comfortable on the wing. And so is Keza. Keza wants to drift wide and he wants to have the freedom to do so. But I also think for his own growth, there is a point where a lot of coaches, maybe a lot of coaches is pushing it, but there have been other coaches who have been critical of the way that he plays his football. And he's not a starter for the national team because of the fact that he doesn't, he wants to do what he wants to do at all times, or at least that's the way that it seems. So I think that there is an element of sometimes playing a little bit with your head up, trying to involve yourself in the play rather than being individualistic on the ball, running forward and trying to do what you can do. Yes, sometimes you're magnificent when you do that, but the game doesn't always allow for you to do that. So there have been talks now with whether or not Alvaro Morata would come back. And a lot of that has to do with Morata being able to partake in the game in the final third that right now Allegri doesn't feel he has the players to do that at the moment. So that's just a little bit meat on the bone for you. But when it comes to Allegri, there's a lot of conversations on whether or not he's going. I'm telling you right now, I know that you may be really sad to hear this, but he's not going anytime soon. (laughs) <laughs> and if it is Zidane that you want, they don't feel that Zidane is the, he, they think he's exceptional, but perhaps for a team that is exceptional. And right now they don't feel they have an exceptional squad. They feel they have a squad that's in the middle of a project. They do want more next gen. They want to make their money count what they've invested. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of like rotations, a lot of experimentation. It's because they want to define what the squad is going to be for next season, what the squad is that could take them further. And this really does seem to be quite a project for them. So you can't just stop a project midway and introduce a guy who now has to judge all these players all over again, if that makes sense. So they'll take the hit if they need to, but everything is staying as it is. And if Keyes is not happy, I I don't know what we can do about that situation. But that's what <laughs> I can give you in my two cents worth. Nikki, should we do some shout outs or? Yeah, that's it. Okay. So... As always, we want to thank you for joining and becoming a, a Patreon member. Let's start off by um, saying thank you to Megan Horton, to Sean Campbell, and to Charlie, just Charlie. And thank you as well to Dane Noon, Richard Bevan, and Samuel Quattromani. Uh, thank you all so much for supporting the show. Couldn't make it without you guys. Really appreciate um, everyone who subscribes and helps us make it happen. You can find us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini and at Mina Mizuki. You can subscribe to Sarah Chronicles on YouTube for clips and short videos of the show. And get yourself over to sarahchronicles.com forward slash Patreon. If you've enjoyed this show, as Mina said at the top, because this is a free episode, you can subscribe for free for a 14 day free trial to keep getting uh, a few more free episodes and then decide if it's for you to do a full time subscription. Otherwise, um, that's it from us. And we'll be back in the week with some updates from the midweek round in which Napoli probably will finally win the league. Centinaia di giornalisti e fotografi sono assiepati aspettano il fischio finale per una pacifica invasione ed è la fine 
Napoli campione d'Italia per la seconda volta il Napoli ha vinto il secondo scudetto per la prima volta in un campionato a 18 squadre dopo averlo vinto nell'86-86 campionato a 16 squadre Napoli campione d'Italia ed ecco Maradona sotto gli spalti Maradona, Diego Armando Maradona il più grande calciatore di tutti i tempi, il grande protagonista di questo campionato Sports Social Podcast Network